0: Hello there and a happy new year from cricket scorers. and This is episode 24. We hope you are all safe and well wherever you're listening around the world. So as always we have the ever lovely Sue Drinkwater. Hello. We have the sometimes lovely Brian Rodwell.
1: <laughs> Hello.
0: We have the occasionally lovely Luke Drinkwater. Hello. And uh, joining us today we have Mark Shepherd. Mark, do you want
2: to introduce yourself? Yeah, good or, or good evening. Uh, happy New Year to you all. I'm a scorer for Potter's Bar. I've scored there since 2005 in the Hearts Premier League. I'm part of the Lords team who score up at all the major games up at uh, up at headquarters. Did all the World Cup games from a couple of years ago. All the white ball games, sort of all the the major games where obviously all the pressure is. And I've been doing that since 2010. So I've been very, very fortunate to do it. So looking forward to this. It should be good fun.
0: Uh, it's good to have you with us, Mark. It and uh, if you haven't noticed these lupin tones by now, you've got myself Jules Farman as well. So we have kicked off the new year with some rather sort of interesting situations going on with the cricket. We've obviously had the Boxing Day tests, of which we do have a question arising out of one of them. We'll come to that later. One for uh, you to get your brains around. Um, and we've also had a little bit of... Uh, covid incidences and whether games are going to happen games are not going to happen and that seems to be the mark of things from speaking to scorers in the southern hemisphere about whether games will happen because of protocol so it kind of continues really and it's all quite tricky Mm.
3: we had all that ourselves in in last summer so it's rather sad to think that uh, you know it's still going on we'd hoped that maybe those in the southern hemisphere would be freer than of Of that than we were but sadly not
0: All we can do is just hope everybody stays safe and well and uh, we'll see how we go but we have had this week uh, back in the UK the announcements and I think it's a little bit optimistic but I'm loving the optimism um, of the summer fixtures for the club cricket season so Mark I think you were saying about what's going on with Potter's Bar beforehand?
2: Yeah in in the Saracens Hearts League we've had I think we've got something like 27 divisions from the Premier League down to Division C East to West and Central and they all came out of the weekend so as a facilities manager for the league I've got about 3 days of input in fixtures mm. which is a delight mm. but it's just great that they're out and they allegedly start on May the 8th.
3: So wow. are they are they planning a full season like that like you would have played in 2019?
2: Yeah, it's uh five fifty over games. And certainly in the top two divisions, it's normally five fifty over games, nine red ball games, and then the final four are all fifty overs because obviously the better weather should be in the middle of the season. We have playoffs at the end of the year to designate who's champion and who goes who gets the final promotion place. Uh a bit further down, it's just straight sort of fifty overs going down to forty-five lower down, and forty down in the down in the the bottom three divisions. They're very confident they can get it all in, whether we can or not. Mm. It's a different kettle of fish. It's like every other league are planning for a full season, and just hoping that they're fortunate enough to do so. Mm.
0: I don't know your fixture, secretary.
2: for 27 leagues. I only fell off my stool. You just said that. I know you've got you've got so many. I think there's either 103 clubs out of that to look after. Oh, so it's it's a big old beast. Wow!
3: Oh, wow. No
0: jokes.
2: That's no impressive. Jokes.
3: Yeah, Mark. I didn't quite. Well, I've never been able to understand how you can play limited over cricket um, uh, and and sort of red Bull cricket in the same in the same league. How does that work then?
2: Why do you say that?
3: Well, it's d- it's a different format. What happens if you have a draw in one? It's normally, if you're, it works on points, and, and if you win a match, you get so many points plus your bonus points. How can that happen? Or Because you can have a draw in Red Bull cricket.
2: You can, but everything's uh, sort of added towards the final total. So you, it's not over two different formats. It's over the whole season. So if you win maybe five out of the nine red ball games and you win six of the white ball games, nine times out of ten, you'll be right up there, either champions or second. So it all rolls over. So it's our league is determined by what the players wanted. They wanted a split between playing, a lot of them play minor counties cricket and they want to play, which also has a mixture of, white ball and red ball cricket be it three days or one day and they wanted to try and get as much variety into their summer as they possibly can because you can still have some really bad games be it white ball or red ball just as much as you can have stunning games that go to the last ball with two to win and everyone's running around like a lunatic
3: Hmm.
1: presumably those fixtures are evenly weighted so you play
2: one red ball and one white ball
1: against an opposition
2: correct Brian you play one game at home one away and if it's if it's rained off it's it's tough you, you have to get on with it and the, the best team will win over both formats
0: oh, I have to say Mark I slightly push back on you on that so, don't you, some of the best games I've seen actually in league cricket have been Red Bull matches but it's been where it's um, Side is sort of uh, eked out a win out of nowhere, sort of, or it's been very, very close to the wire. But the number of games where you've got to like the, the seven or eight batter on the card, and they know that the tile is pretty long, and they just block and block mm-hmm. and block, and it becomes a bit of a oh, sneeze fest oh, into the yeah, final great. two overs. Though, if there's something that could be done to stop that, that'd be <laughs> great. And one thing we had, because I used to score in um, Thames Valley League, and I think they've eradicated it now, but because we used to use it to our advantage in my old club, was having the same two bowlers bowl for about 25 overs. And you're just thinking, oh, they must be broken anyway, and I'm bored of watching them bowl. And it's just limiting the bowling as well with that can be difficult. And also, knowing about the thing I never understood when I first started scoring this, and I think I mentioned this in one of the early podcasts, is that it's the changing of overs. So you'll have one, so the first side will bat 52, the second side will bat 48. And you think, oh, they've not made the score. So therefore, this is the side batting first of one. And then there's all chops and changes with overs, there's draws. Oh, it's just a faff.
2: Well, it is a fact, but we've we've tried to eradicate it. So you can't a team can't turn up and insert a team and then block because the bonus points are such that you have to go and try and win the game because the players demand that you you at least try and they don't want to have boring draws. No one wants a boring draw. So if you turn up and you stick eight men on the boundary from ball one and maybe side A gets 300 and you're 120 for seven, you'll end up with literally no points for the game. It's there to stop teams from doing that. So everyone will have a a reasonable game. But in a white ball game as well, side A can get 350 and side B might be 120 for six and the game just drifts and you might as well pack up and go home or close the curtains and go and have a beer because that can be equally as dull. Yeah,
1: I, I agreed about the uh, about what you're saying, Jules about the about the bowlers. Uh, mm-hmm. I spoke to uh, an overseas player who was this was about ten years ago now who had come over from Australia and he was employed by his club. And it was fifty over game on a Saturday, fifty over game on a Sunday, and he was expected to bowl twenty five overs on Saturday, twenty five overs on Sunday, and that's what he was contracted to do. Got to get your money with Brian. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Was he coaching
0: during the week, bowling?
1: <laughs> I don't think he had time. I think he's a, he's a, he's a journalist now. But, uh... <laughs> I thought
0: he might not have a right arm or a yeah. strain injury anyway.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: So another thing we've heard you do, Mark, and to drop you on it a little bit, is overseas registrations. Now, I know from some of our listeners, a lot of scorers get... I want to say Lumberd slash the joy of going through various uh, immigration rules, paperwork, and then the league set of rules for overseas registrations. Um, So this might resonate with a few people, but can you explain a little bit about what you do there, as long as it's above board?
2: Well, exactly. Everything's above board. (laughs) Uh, For the league, I look after all the Premier League and the Championship overseas players and basic registration. So it's just a case of, for my club, should we we have an overseas player? He's got to obviously meet with all of the the government uh, regulations that if he's played first class cricket, he's got to have a tier five license, which means he has to have played five uh, sort of list day fixtures before he can be before he can get uh, entry under a tier five. It's a complete minefield. You have agents who are there to. Should we say flog their wares as well and and earn a few quid out of it? And it's just scorers seem to be lumbered because they're they're so uh, sort of desperate to get things right. They will go to the nth degree to make sure that everything's in place, flights are done, every all the all the government paperwork is is ticked and and done expertly well. And it's just a and if it goes wrong, there's only one person that can be blamed, and that's the poor person who has to deal with it and it's it's there there's obviously the checks with the leagues that go through getting players in, so there's a, a double double check in there, which means the clubs aren't going to be ripped off and it's just a minefield, and most clubs now are tending to steer well away from from uh overseas players going for homegrown players having putting more money into Colts, coaching and what have you, just to make sure that, A, they can't be caught out and a chairman doesn't have a, like a 10 grand fine for, for bringing someone over who's not supposed to be here, but just having a, a, like a continuation of local club cricketers mm. to supplement their club. And that's that should be the way to go rather than just rely on some hired hand who, who comes over, dominates for a year, and the club are no further forward sort of eight or twelve, eighteen months later.
0: Sounds like an advertisement not to have an overseas player. Yeah, it does.
2: Bad shout. There's a lot of leagues talking about it as as we speak. So it's uh it's just the, the regulations are so tight, they've taken away one of the categories, which is a three E certificate now, which means the, the player has to have been here three years for 210 days per year, which no longer means that you could come here for eighteen months, have a UK passport, and and be part of be part of a team. You've got to show some commitment to playing cricket in the UK, and more so contributing and living here.
0: Oh. Funny, funny you've mentioned that. Um, I was aware of one club um, who had an overseas player from India. I think come over for a season. Um, and went AWOL in the middle of the season. So no one knew where he went. He just didn't turn up for some of the games. No one could get hold of him. Turned off, he disappeared off to Germany to sell some scarves and came back about towards the end of the cricket season. And his excuse was thinking that the cricket season was over. Um, and meanwhile, they were trying to work out how to hand themselves into immigration, having lost the overseas player. <gasps>
2: <laughs> What's difficult as well, nine times that out of ten, you have to leave a forwarding address on the application. So and that's where the pro- and if immigration come knocking at your door, they've got to be there, which is pretty frightening.
3: Well, I I feel that um this is a whole different level to to what I've been used to at club cricket. Um my league club didn't have overseas players, neither did anybody else in this in my league. So this is this is a whole new set of of rules and regulations that I'm just not really aware of. It sounds a nightmare.
2: Absolutely. It's a very dangerous thing so you can get yourself in a terrible mess
3: yeah.
2: unless you read it properly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sounds awful. Have you done the paperwork for anyone that's been particularly famous or gone on to be really famous?
2: Yeah, we, we've had a couple of overseas guys who have played for their country. Uh, we had Patrick Brown who went on to play for the West Indies. We had Kashwira Ratner who played for Sri Lanka. We've had ex-professionals. It's Lots of clubs have had you know, overseas have gone on to be top sort of uh, state players, uh, provincial players, island players, national players. It's it's I think it's well worth having a really good one, but there are an awful lot of characters who are just coming over for six months holiday. The best ones we've had have been sort of state, or sorry, uh, club cricketers from Australia who are young, hungry and have gone on to go and play in the Big Bash and play for their state and what have you, and, and they're they're good club boys as well. I mean, Chris Green played for Bishop Stortford, and he's he's created a niche in T Twenty cricket, going all around the world, captaining in sides in the Caribbean, in Pakistan, in Australia, and he's he's like the golden boy of Australian T Twenty cricket, in in sort of franchise sport. And he's a, a, a wonderful bloke. Bishops Stortford were excellent to him and vice versa. And that's where teams benefit from it.
0: Yeah, agreed. We had Josh Silver at my current club come over, who's another the wicketkeeper for West Indies. And he was cracking for the year that he was here. I think he was about 17 at the time. And he was just eager to contribute at the club. And I think sometimes that's where there's a value of having an overseas player because actually you can get some really young talent. And because they're kind of near to the ages of some of your youngsters within your cricket side, it's someone sort of like a peer leader that people can look up to and actually think, I want to be that person. And they set a good example. So I think that's where having a sort of, putting in the hard yards and getting an overseas player is really, really beneficial.
2: Very much so.
0: So, Sue, I understand that you've been doing, and I'm making this sound like this is a revelation or shocking news, um, some starting work on some research in regards to some appointments being made in New Zealand. So what's been going on there? Well, um, I've
3: just been sort of nosing about uh, on social media to see what's going on. But uh, over in uh, New Zealand and Australia, they they keep a tally of uh, how many uh, major matches the scorers have been appointed to. Uh, because they are appointed centrally rather than just uh, the home venue finding the scorers for these games. Uh, and and it's really interesting to see that when you get a list of players and how many games they've played, uh, in Australia and New Zealand, you can quite often get a list of the scorers and how many games they've scored. Um, and there were a couple of interesting ones recently. Over in Australia, uh, recently, there was... um. A, a girl called Sarah Berman, who made her first class debut. Um, She was scoring in a match between Australia A and India A. It was a three day game. Um, And and on social media, there were congratulations posted saying that this was a North Sydney uh, scorer and Uh, She was the only the second known North Sydney scorer to reach first class level after somebody called Jim Young, who did it in the early early 20th century. So that's quite, quite a big gap. Um, So that's one. And then in New Zealand, um, in a test match between New Zealand and the West Indies played in December, um, there was a, a rather unusual debut because... Um, A brother and sister made their test debut together. Uh, The brother was umpiring. He was called Wayne Knight. And uh, his sister, uh, who I think he's called Erica, let me just check that, was making her scoring debut in the same game. So that made me just wonder how many other siblings there are that have officiated together. Now, I, I know that there's quite often parent and child. I mean, I started my life a scoring because my dad was an umpire and he wanted me to get qualified as a scorer so that we would be a proper officiating pair. And I think there's probably more like that, fathers and sons, and maybe now there'll be some mother, or there are definitely some mothers and, and daughters. Um, but uh, I didn't know I don't know of any other siblings do you So maybe our listeners if there are any any people out there umpiring or scoring um as part of of a siblings um pair then then do let us know cuz um I'm quite interested to find out where the, where you might be So
0: it's a nice little segue onto our interview this week so Sue gets the delight of speaking to Pete Mayo who is a developer of MV Play and PCS Pro and has a background in New Zealand cricket, keeping it all Southern Hemisphere for this time of the year? I don't like cricket.
2: Oh,
0: no. I love it. Welcome to
3: Cricket Scorers Untallied to Pete Mail. Hello, Pete. Hello, Sue. So, Pete is the Cricket Services Manager uh, for NV Play in New Zealand. Uh, Pete, Could you just explain uh, what your personal connection with cricket is, please?
4: Sure thing. Okay, it goes back quite a while. Uh, So I began scoring uh, in my teens. Um, Probably, yeah, pretty much because I worked out I wasn't going to be very good at playing for various reasons. Um, But I was fortunate enough uh, at high school, one of my teachers was a first-class player here in Canterbury. Um, So he was able to get me involved uh, with his club. Um, and, uh, yeah, went from there in terms of, yeah, starting to score as a teenager at his club, moved on to another club because they did actually have a a permanent scorer, Um, and then, yeah, just sort of climbed the ranks, I guess, over the following years of um, doing, you know, up to provincial, you know, first-class cricket uh, and then up to international stuff. Um, And then, yeah, went away and did a few other things, um, but had also had some experience in video analysis and then, um, was lucky enough to get uh, a job offer from New Zealand Cricket um, a few years ago and spent 13 years there as Cricket Technology Manager, which involved managing all the scorers in New Zealand um, and implementing mm-hmm. live scoring and things like that as well. So, um, yeah, and then, yeah, a couple of years ago, switched over to, to NB Play. So it's been a longstanding uh, passion, I guess, of mine um, and very fortunate that I've been in a position to... Um, you know, to have a hobby turn into a job basically mm-hmm. over over the last 15, 20 years or so. So yeah, very fortunate, but yeah, love it. It's great fun.
3: Sounds wonderful. We might revisit the New Zealand cricket part. <laughs> okay. sure. Um, sure. Could you please just explain for our listeners who Envy Play are and how they are connected to cricket?
4: Sure. Okay. So NV Play uh, is a company that's born out of another company. Um, so, uh, there was a sister company it is now uh, called Envy Interactive and they uh, the New Zealand cricket website uh, and took that over about 12 years or so ago. Um, but they also did, um, in addition to that, the software development of the, uh, of what was then the feedback cricket uh, software, um, which was what was used for live scoring and video analysis uh, in New Zealand and also had been used uh, in the UK and county cricket for uh, video analysis. Um, So they did that uh, software development um, and all the website stuff. So I had a very close working relationship with NV Interactive when I was at at New Zealand Cricket. Um, And then starting about, uh, I guess it's three, three and a half years ago now, New Zealand Cricket wanted to get out of uh, owning the feedback cricket software and NV were very interested in taking that on board as a commercial uh, endeavour to be able to licence to other clients around the world. Um, so there was a transfer of ownership. And uh, out of that uh, and uh winning the the ECB tender about three years ago as well, uh NV Play was born. So it was basically set up as a separate company to look after the um the the software development and the commercialization of, of the cricket products. So um that's what NV Play or that's the, the background to it in a nutshell. Um, and obviously now a growing company with um, growing links to cricket organisations around the world which is what makes it yeah so much fun.
3: How did uh, a New Zealand company come to uh, develop the software which is now the leading cricket scoring software in the UK?
4: Sure um, so yes, yeah, so three years ago at about the same time that New Zealand cricket was wanting to uh, get out of owning Feedback Cricket um, the ECB uh, went to market with the RFP with a request for proposal uh, Process, tender process for a um, for an alternative, I guess, scoring platform to uh, Total Cricket Scorer, which had been um, extensively used in the UK for a long time, um, and that was obviously an international uh, competitive, um, you know, process that the ECB went through uh, and NV Play, um, in partnership with New Zealand Cricket, or with New Zealand Cricket's permission, I guess, um, pitched for that um, for that tender. Uh, and it was based not on the um, existing feedback cricket uh, software, but it was based on, um, I guess, the concept or the vision uh, of extending what was possible now with, with modern technology. Um, and that's where what is now known as Play Cricket Scorer Pro was born. So it was very much a visionary product um, and a visionary decision by the ECB, I guess, to go with, to go with us um and yeah and, and develop from the base that we were at uh, add so many more features and product you know parts of the of the platform now uh as well and to get um everybody you know on the same platform and and obviously you know down to, to the recreational cricket and the extensive use there as well so not just the elite uh county and international level but um uh, there as well so um yeah so that's how it came about so that process um I think was the end of two thousand and uh, 18 it must have been um, launched into the the following season for no it must have been the end of 2017 and launched into the to the first season of, of pcs pro in the uk in 2018 um and yeah that's how it all came about so uh you're very um you know very six su- you know successful tender and and very pleased to have won it and and you know working closely now with the ecb ever since
3: Excellent. So um, with you based in New Zealand and us in the UK may be having a different <laughs> cricket set up to you, um, how how did you ensure that your product was going to be suitable for UK scorers?
4: The UK, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so after winning the tender in late 2017, there was a, a process set up uh, with the ECB uh, that included um, a group of scorers. I can't remember the official Name of that group, or if there was one too, you might remember. But um, we we just referred to it as the Scorers Group at the ECB end. Um, and they were heavily involved with the, with the software development process from that point of sort of late 2017, um, over those you know very busy lead up months to going live at the start of the 2018 season. So um, they you know had direct input into what the priorities were uh, in terms of new features and. Uh, and things, um, and were able to test uh, on our testing platform and give us feedback uh, to make sure that we were getting things right. Um, And, yeah, then we were able to release it and go live, uh, as it were, and and the process has continued with that group uh, since then as well. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, I was lucky enough to be part of that group. So uh, (laughs) uh, for the UK listeners, um, most of that group came from ecbaco which is the association of cricket officials yes. um with um a, a smattering of people from uh the uk domestic professional scene as well to make sure it was yep. suitable for both markets
4: and we also i'll just add to that sir, if i can I, we had a um a london-based uh, operations manager at that time and we also had um a number of us uh, come over to the uk at critical periods and that sort of Pre-season lead-up uh, as well, so we had lots of uh, on-the-ground support um, when, yeah, for those first couple of seasons. Uh, obviously, twenty twenty start of the season was a little bit different because mm. of uh, the pandemic, so we weren't able to do that uh, this season. Um, but yeah, those first two years, we definitely had a, a pretty intensive, um, you know, high presence of people uh, over there to provide um, to provide assistance to scorers and 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 look after that process and really. Um, you know understand and deliver that sort of operational piece that you're talking about how is it different from the UK to New Zealand sort of thing and yeah we had a good understanding of how things worked in New Zealand obviously and and but it was great for us to be on the ground in the UK to you know to appreciate those differences and, and help that set up as well with with all the users involved.
3: So I met uh, I met a few of you when you came over but Pe- <laughs> did you I, I don't think I met you at the time did you come over?
4: No, uh, yes, I did come over a couple Ah. of times. So um, yeah, I was very lucky. So the first time I came over was in 2018, which is when I was actually still at New Zealand cricket. Um, But yeah, and then last year as well, uh, for about a five week period, I think both times. Um, And
3: what did you think of uh, the UK setup and the UK grounds in comparison uh, to New Zealand cricket?
4: Well, it makes a big difference, I guess, uh, certainly around the, the the first class stuff where you're you're actually playing your first class cricket in you know, in stadiums. Um obviously you have the population and the support of your of your county teams to do that. Um whereas in New Zealand, you know, the the first class four day competition, for example, was basically played uh in front of nobody, um and at much smaller grounds. So mm-hmm. things um, you know, are a little bit um Less professional, I guess, or less sophisticated. Um, mainly that affects the video analysis side, where you know there's not the sort of suitable stands for camera setup and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, but I mean, be- being able to come to some of the the county venues and you know and basically see that that cricket being played in international stadiums was pretty cool and allowed mm. you know things to be a lot easier operationally to um, you know to deliver what we were doing as a cricket fan to be able to go to those venues for you know for free and to get the guided tours and see the score boxes and things as a scorer for as I say from my teenage years. It was um yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, going back to Lords and yeah. and things like that and to each baston and places. So it was yeah, it was fantastic.
3: Excellent. Um I, I have visited New Zealand a couple of times um and I have <laughs> walked across Basin Reserve but not got okay. to didn't get to see it when there was a game on. But I I did right. at least yeah, was... get to go to <laughs> <Yeah>. the ground. <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, Basin Reserve doesn't really count, sorry Sue, because that I'm is sorry. actually a public—it's a public park, so um, anybody can uh, walk across it at any time, which is a bit weird uh, in itself. But anyway, um, but no, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: So we know that um, the software is being used in the UK and it's called Play Cricket Scorer mm. Professional, um, and it's being used in New Zealand. Uh, is it being mm. used anywhere else? And does it have any other names?
4: Sure. Okay. So yeah. So in New Zealand, it's called uh, now uh, Pro Cricket Scorer. So um, I can't remember precisely the reasons why now from three years ago, but yeah, there was the intention was to kind of keep that sort of PCS uh, initials going. Um, but, yeah. So and yeah, it's used in New Zealand for basically every game under New Zealand cricket's jurisdiction. So international matches, uh, all of its first class. Um, domestic cricket uh, all of its national tournaments that it plays uh, some of its district uh, competitions as well which is the equivalent of your uh, national counties um, or similar to that Uh, so yeah so um, extensively used in New Zealand not quite at the recreational level yet but um, we're hoping that that will happen in the future so a cricket scorer in New Zealand um, and then yes over the last uh, year or so with, um, I guess we've got a, our own branded or named uh, version of the software, which is uh, just NV Play Cricket. Um, and that uh, is used, I guess, um, most significantly at the moment by Cricket Island uh, and the nine uh, associate countries that are part of the ICC's high performance group. Um, that's both mainly around uh, video analysis, but is some live scoring and live streaming uh, as well. So, Ireland and those nine other countries that include in Scotland, Netherlands, Nepal, Namibia, uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, Hong Kong. USA, this is going to test me, Oman and UAE, I think that's nine. Um, so yeah, the that sort of second tier of, of countries are using it for, uh, for video analysis and, and streaming and, and live scoring as well. So um, looking to expand those relationships. Um, and then in addition to that, we also have uh, some people uh, around the world on our trial version. Um, so we've had... Um, a scorer and muter who kind of runs it as his own company and does the club cricket over there. Uh, So he used it uh, last season with his sort of team of scorers uh, and also um, an analyst in Barbados who also runs a team of people, including his mother, who's the scorer. um, And they used it for Barbados club cricket um, during this season as well. And we also have a few uh, trial users in Australia uh, at the moment. Um, and some one-offs in some other random places like Sweden and, um, yeah, quite a few in India who have picked up on PCS Pro but are now on the on the trial version. Um, so we're slowly expanding, um, obviously looking for more sort of agreements with with um, more licensing to, to national bodies. But, yeah, we are doing a bit of um, scorers picking it up and, and using it and hopefully, yeah, developing in different parts of the world that way.
3: Cricket is played in so many countries that I i wasn't aware of but but since doing the podcast and we've had listeners um uh, contact us from all over the place so yeah i'm amazed at uh, some of the places (laughs) actually that you've mentioned and and that i've discovered (laughs) cricket being played it's it's great actually to communicate with them
4: absolutely um
3: so how does the development cycle of of the product work um just sort of briefly, because it is you are continually updating it. Yep.
4: <laughs> we are, yep. So we use a software development uh, process called, agile, or loosely known as agile, um, where we yeah basically have uh, sort of three to four week what we call sprints um, that allow us to really focus uh, on a particular topic if you like or area of development um, and do all the items that sit within that sprint Um, and then at the end of that sprint we can release those updates to uh, our testing platform where users like the the, uh, the scorers group that we've talked about uh, can go in there and play around and think of different cricket scenarios and test the the new features that we've come up with or anything that we've fixed up to to make um, the scoring process a bit more efficient. So anything like that, and then they can so they can play around with it and then give us feedback. We can make any adjustments that we need to, um, and then release to what we call production. So the version that's actually used live. Uh, by people for real games uh, as it were so uh, and then we repeat that so once that release is done to production we then start a new sprint um, and yeah have those sort of set of priorities um, and then work on those with that sort of user feedback uh, as we go but the reason it's called agile is that it gives us that flexibility to change so um, if something is is becomes more important during the cricket season or a feature for strategic reasons for either the client or for ourselves, if that suddenly becomes more important um, or there is an issue that we hadn't thought of that needs to be corrected, then we can deal with that um you know immediately and get that in the next release to come out you know um, as soon as possible so um uh, that's how it works it's a kind of a response to the old days i think of software development where software developers would develop you know they would get a brief from a company and then they'd go away and go into their little bubble and develop it and then they deliver it a few months later to the client and then the client would say well that's not what we meant by you know xyz and so it wasn't quite um the the best practice so this this agile process that we follow allows us to avoid that scenario so that we get constant user and client feedback uh, into what we're doing and and they tick off you know whether it's features or bug fixes that you know we need to do um, they are, you know, involved in the process, you know, all uh, along the way.
3: Certainly seems to be working.
4: Yeah, we have what we call season. So we tr- we try to k- uh, stick to the cricket terminology. So we have a, a northern and a southern season, obviously having uh, the ECB and, and New Zealand cricket. So we have a, we're now in our northern season, even though physically, geographically, it's our southern season uh, in New Zealand. Um, but we're now working on the next lot of uh, sprint cycles for Uh, for the UK 2021 season, so we're now already in the northern season um, for for development purposes, and then in six months, eight months' time, we'll switch over again uh, as you come towards the end of the ECB season, then we'll switch back to what we need to do for the southern Mm -hmm. season.
3: And do you keep the core of of the software the same? It, It doesn't matter which country it's in, the core, I guess, is the same for everybody, is
4: it? Absolutely, yeah. So that's um, that was one of the issues that we were getting, I guess, with Feedback Cricket. So ECB had used Feedback Cricket previously for video analysis purposes. And the two versions were getting a little bit uh, further apart, which made things um, a little bit hard to manage for us. Um, so there is, yes, that core that is the same for all clients. And when we, when we do update, release updates now, say to PCS Pro, generally we're doing... The same release to PCS in New Zealand and to the MV Play Cricket um, platforms uh, as well. Not always, but most of the time we're doing we're doing that. Um, there are some things. There is still a little bit of flexibility within that, so it's not. Um, there are some things that are specific for uh, different clients, um, but you know, very manageable. Um, and yeah, we, we do handle that well. Uh, just for for that for very bespoke um, different aspects that that the client wants.
3: So, um, most of our listeners will know the software just as a scoring package. so mm. what else does it do?
4: Okay, so there's about four or five I guess key areas of um, of the platform. So firstly, obviously there's a scoring tool uh, and which leads to the live scoring um, and all the presentation of you know scorecard and, and relevant you know live scoring data uh, online. Uh, then there is the the video analysis side, um, which allows for obviously the, the recording of video uh, clips, so ball clips around uh, each delivery, um, or you know continuous video as well, which is the whole match if you like, um, and also involves you know a bit more tagging for high performance purposes. So. Uh, more about pitch maps and shot types and mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of thing um, and any you know you know delivery types uh, etc. So more of that yeah that high performance uh, side of things with with the video. Um, but that obviously having video then has available um, at at um, at some matches allows other things to be done. So the video highlights can then be presented online as part of the live scoring. So fours, sixes, wickets, milestones. Um, And then in addition, uh, and the third big part of the platform is the live streaming. So more and more these days, um, you know, live streaming is is becoming more important for for clients and for, you know, whether it's internationally or or counties or clubs uh, wanting to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. We saw that, you know, very much this season in the UK where because of COVID and no spectators allowed uh, and that sort of thing, the live streaming became... Uh, so much more important to the counties. So there was a lot of work done to really boost what had been um, had already been there, um, but we really needed to boost it up and and help the counties deliver you know a better product online because they had no spectators. So yeah. um, and that's you know now having an effect in terms of you know coming down to recreational cricket as well. Um, new zealand cricket haven't done a lot of streaming in the past but they are now starting to so they've been doing their one- day competition uh mm-hmm. recently and they' just started with one of their national tournaments that started yesterday they've um, put their toe in the water with streaming that um that sort of cricket um so that's a big part of yeah the the platform now and um yeah a key to i think to its success in the future is that you know delivery of that really high quality um but low sort of low investment um, and making use of what's already there kind of uh, mm-hmm. streaming. Then I guess the, the fourth part uh, is the replay screen and scoreboard output. So, yeah, that's a key thing. So by that, I mean uh, replay screens, a full sort of electronic uh, scoreboard that takes video uh, images as well and, and can be used, for example, at internationals with a television uh, input as well. So outputting um, scoreboard data to that as well. Um, and then also, and this is probably more common in the UK, where uh, it's just a data output via XML that is then mapped to existing uh, yeah. scoreboards in a, in a slightly different um, in a slightly different way. So we have both built into the into the platform, um, and yeah. So a scorer who is scoring a game anyway using the platform can actually be connected connected to. Um, either a replay screen or a scoreboard and that data just looks after itself and you know different things like a dismissal key or a made and over can be presented at, at um you know automatic automatically without the score having to do um you know much uh, other work so um, so very um very sophisticated in the way that it makes Maximum use of the data that's entered by the scorer uh, in different ways for different outputs, different reasons. So um, we think it's very efficient, and uh, hopefully the scorers do as well.
3: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of features in there. Um, as a as a scorer, I'm sure I haven't uh, discovered most of them yet.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, other things. You know, just talking about that of, of data that's used, and without the scorer doing too much else. I mean, one other feature is the the auto uh, auto Twitter. Uh, feature as well that you know so a scorer can set that up to the club account or whatever or their own account um, and set the frequency around if it's just four sixes wickets you know end of over breaks whatever Um, or they can do it manually Um, but with the automated stuff yeah it just means that they're just scoring as normally and then whenever they score before uh, or a wicket um, it, the tweak just looks after itself so they don't have to do anything extra it's just all set up pre-match and away they go and then the people that are following that team or that club um, that person can uh, get those updates without any extra work by the scorer
3: mm. it's very popular that in the UK <laughs> I know that certainly from club yeah, sure. accounts
4: well, I think when we first introduced that in the UK, we NV Play was banned by Twitter because we got we they thought we thought they thought we were spamming them because there were so many tweets going out. So mm. there was a yeah a little little uh, crinkle to iron out there, but we got through that. <laughs> yeah.
3: So if any of our listeners, um, especially those outside the UK uh, and in some of these uh, faraway places that we've mentioned, if they'd like to score with your software. How can yep. they get a copy?
4: Sure. If they go to our website, uh, www.nvplay.com, uh, there on the homepage at the top right is a big button called uh, Name Download Trial, uh, so they can download the, the software there uh, immediately. Um, and then there's also an inquiries page on that website uh, as well. So they could uh, they can do that first, or they can email us, and we can set them up. Um, and obviously, if they've got any questions or uh, support issues afterwards, they can email us on that inquiries page, and we can uh, have direct contact with them uh, and get them underway, and uh, we can go from there. Yeah.
3: So at the beginning of the interview, <laughs> you mentioned your work with New Zealand cricket, sure. um, and and managing the scorers, which always interests me because here in the UK, <laughs> <laughs> the scorers at first class level um, are associated with the counties. Uh, so it's always good to find yes. out what happens. In other countries, could you just yeah explain how it all works in New Zealand,
4: please? Sure. Okay. Um, So I guess yeah, the the main difference is that New Zealand is obviously small enough where the scoring community is not that big, um, very passionate and very dedicated and and very good. um, Probably in terms of um, regular. Uh, scorers probably about only about 50 to 60 scorers I guess in New Zealand Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, yeah so it is it is much easier for it to be centrally managed and when I started at New Zealand cricket uh, it wasn't centrally managed it was a bit more like the UK system where what we call major associations the equivalent of counties were um, sort of or were looking after the scorers, um, it led to weird things like, um, you know, the pay rates were different, for example, for domestic cricket. If you were in Auckland, New Zealand's biggest city, you tended to get more money than if you were in Otago, and you know, in Dunedin, because it's, you know, just the the, the simple economics of, of what was available. So, which obviously, you know, for people doing the same job and the same competition, it was a bit weird that they were paid differently. So... That was kind of one of the first challenges that we did but to do that it meant that the sort of contracting had to be different and and that so i was you know able to with support of some key scorers in each of the the six ma's and the support of uh, martin sneddon who was our ceo who appointed me um you know we were able to to create a, a central system where the scorers were contracted to New Zealand Cricket and paid by New Zealand Cricket and paid at the same rate and, and other things like that. And we could give them New Zealand Cricket outfitting and we could bring them into tournaments at the New Zealand Cricket High Performance Centre that, you know, as I mentioned before, one started yesterday. And that um, that system's still going. And that was um, partly to, or mostly to look after them, but also it was at a time when live scoring was taking off and, um, so it enabled us to deliver training for scorers in the feedback cricket system, and to get them used to doing live scoring, uh, and also enabled uh, New Zealand cricket to be able to expand the the range of games that it was covering on its website via live scoring. So, I think when I started, and it was previously done by Crick Info, the only games that were live scored in New Zealand were the were the Black Caps men's internationals and men's first class cricket. So, once that sort of uh, operational delivery of that with the with the New Zealand scorers came in-house, if you like, to New Zealand cricket. Uh we were able to expand it out to include women's internationals and women's domestic and then national tournaments and um, and now down to the community tournaments. So the, the primary school sort of tournaments that we that New Zealand cricket also cover uh using PCS. So um yeah so it was a much more yeah centralized model. Um with its own challenges, it doesn't mean to say that it was perfect compared to, to the to the UK setup. Um, but yeah, when you're only dealing with, you know, 50 or 60 scorers, um, I guess being centralised, that was one of the other benefits was that people could actually see that there was a bit of a career pathway and that there was a bit of training and support and a bit of recognition and reward to be involved in scoring. So it did help boost those numbers. Um, and that's yeah, it's still. I mean, yesterday with the tournament that started, there's a couple of new scorer names on the scorecards that I haven't heard of or seen before. So it's good to see that there's still those those new people coming into tournaments to get that experience, and they'll be learning PCS, uh, you know, just like people in the UK. So um, yes, yeah, so and no, it was a very rewarding time. Achieved a lot, and um, yeah, but sort of now for me, yeah, switched over to MVPlay Play and sort of doing similar sorts of things around the world with with helping. Uh, other scorers learn the the platform and, and get involved.
3: Mm. Do you miss the scoring?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I must say, yeah. So part of my role is to do quite a bit of the testing uh, in house, um, and to sort of be the scorer consultant, I guess, to the software development team. Um, and interpret law changes and what they might mean for what we need to do in the software and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I so I use the I use the software a lot in an office environment and yes occasionally i do think it'd be nice to be getting out and actually doing some games because i think it's so good that i'd love to be you know just scoring (laughs) and getting the getting the benefit of all the hard work that goes into it but Mm. um yeah it's good fun doing you know being able to do what i what i can do and uh, with the software and stuff and having input and seeing you know seeing our development team you know, come up or deliver on things that we need to do or, or to fix. It's, you know, it's, it's fantastic to, to see it all come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So release day, when we do release updates to the various clients, it's pretty stressful. There's usually a lot going on. You can never account for the, you know, uh, the last minute glitch or something. But, you know, once it's all out there and uh, in the wild, as we call it, it's um, pretty rewarding time to, um, you know, to have that, that sprint finished off and the release out there. Yep.
3: So uh is there anything else you'd like to uh tell our listeners about Envy play?
4: <laughs> oh no, I think that yeah, that covers it. But yeah, just encourage everyone to um download that trial if they if they wanna use a elite uh world class product in and their own games of cricket, even if, you know, they're just doing club cricket or something and uh, have got their own laptop and away they go and uh, we're more than happy to support them and yeah help them uh, get up to speed and use all the features that they want to or can and um, yes yeah.
3: well thank yeah. you very much Pete for your time uh, no it's uh, evening here but uh, early morning <laughs> I think for you so thank yes, you very right. much.
4: It's time for drink.
2: I'm
0: really glad we managed to um, speak to a scorer in New Zealand. We're slowly sort of ticking off our sort of Southern Hemisphere nations. Um, But if you are listening from the Southern Hemisphere, um, we'd love you to get in contact, especially if you're scoring at the moment. So please do uh, email us or hit us up on Twitter. We're at cricketscorersuntallied at gmail.com. And we're also at cricketscorers1 on the Twitter And thanks, Sue, for that really interesting interview with Pete. No problem. So now we are going to the question that we had before Christmas, which I'm not going to lie, after a few uh, sherries over Christmas and a lot of uh, cheese boards, uh, we may need a slight reminder of. um, Luke, in your eloquent voice, what was the question again?
3: The question was... The striker faced a legal ball, hit the ball with the bat and set off for a run. Realising the run was not there, he returned to his crease. Before grounding his bat, the
2: striker has his wicket broken and was given out by the striker's end umpire. How was he out? Thank you, Thank you for that, Luke. Um,
1: I believe the answer will be because he was, a, because he was attempting a run uh, he's run out uh, even though the keeper performed the run out therefore he would it took the bails off anyway he'll be out run out it's uh, always can be a little bit tricky um, mm. as a scorer to determine whether um, whether the, bat- the batsman was attempting a run or not and of course if you ask the bowler they're always going to say no they weren't because they're going to get credit for the wicket
3: uh, being married to a wicketkeeper, um, he, he always tried to claim the stumping, <laughs> and I had to ignore him every time.
0: <laughs> Wicketkeepers, Lawrence for themselves, they really are. Yeah. They are,
3: yeah.
0: yeah. I tell you what, did I, I don't know if any of you guys watched it last night, I was just saying to Brian beforehand, but the uh, what was it Pakistan that he scored so many half runs last night? How they well, none of them were run out, I'll never know to this day. They kept on running halfway down the pitch and then running back, and it was an absolute show. But uh, yeah. hey, there we are. So we do have a question this week. Now, before I read out the question, I do want to make sure that the uh, the listener who's written in is currently not driving a car, because the last time we read out something related to him, he was driving a car and apparently nearly took it off the road. So, uh, you know... Just to uh, a bit of safety here, especially as it's in the dark of winter. It's coming from one of our UK listeners, Paul Stubbs. If you are driving, you may want to pull over while I read this out. Happy New Year, Jules, Sue and Brian. A question for you to ponder. I'm sure he means you as well, Mark. We just didn't know you were joining. A question for you to ponder. In the first test between South Africa and Sri Lanka, played at Supersport Park in Centurion, good place naming, the Sri Lankan batsmen... In running a single, appeared to pull a muscle in his leg. He was transported from the pitch on the back of a medical buggy. Now, in the official scorecard for the Sri Lankan innings, um, he is shown as retired hurt, well, there you go, having scored 79 runs. Sri Lanka are listed as being 396 all out. In the second innings, uh, Dananyaya de Silva is listed as absent hurt and the second innings closed as 180 all out. And I attached photos of the scorecard from the match. Thank you very much. That's going to help us for Twitter. Now, I've looked through the laws of cricket, specifically law 25.4, and I cannot see any reference to retired hurt. So how should this have been recorded in the scorebook? There you go. That's one for next week.
3: Yep, we'll all have a ponder on that and uh, come back to that one next week.
0: And, Paul, you can now resume driving.
3: (laughs) So, Jules, can I ask you a question? It was uh, you saying you've got some pictures for Twitter. And on Twitter fairly recently, um, I saw some score sheets that you'd scored. So I think you were doing some commentary for Guerrilla Cricket, maybe?
0: Ah, Um, yes, yep, yep.
3: Uh, And they'd they'd, they'd said this beautiful artwork from Julia Farman. So I had a look and they were right. Um, But it it wasn't a conventional score sheet. I didn't recognise it as a conventional linear sheet. So um, I just wondered if you could explain to us uh, what sort of format you were scoring in, please.
0: If I've got a lot of things going on. So the Clubwise Scorer, I do something called Pitch Vision, which is um, the live camera feed. Um, and you do scoring as you go along I've also got um, play cricket scorer pro because it's a faff just going on the play cricket score website afterwards to do all the numbers so I do that as I go but if I have a power cut or everything goes down I do a really rough linear sheet where I'll literally just put the bowler's name I'll put what's happened in that over and then the very rough stats of um who was the batter to face so if it was it might put sometimes be full name sometimes it's initials and literally how what their total score is and how many balls they faced and if they're out I'll put down the wicket that's fallen how they're out as well as the total um, but it's handy for when doing sort of commentary, especially because I think that's for the big bash, because you've got a useful guide then to kind of see what's happening. So if there's what they call those power surge overs, mm. you can see quickly how many runs were scored on it. Or if you need to know how many runs were scored by the first team at the end of well, the 10 overs to make that comparison for the bonus point, you can see that. But I think the beauty with scoring, and actually this is not just when you're doing... Um, the lazy dodge sheet or linear or um, book scoring, is that actually you can see, especially most during test matches, when um, a side is really sort of turning the screw on the opposition. So the thing I find most fascinating, and then you get it in test matches where you see someone bowling and you see a bunch of maidens because you know then that the batter is really sort of struggling or trying to work out how to play and sometimes when you're watching a game of cricket or you're having a beer in the crowd or whatever you don't quite notice that or you get distracted by crowd moving up and down but as a scorer you notice things like that and that's when you can give like for example if you're commentating your fellow commentators going going." The turn the screw here, or have you noticed this? Or, for example, I think in one of the big bash games, they kept on scoring fours in the fourth ball of someone's over, and whether they were just trying something out and it wasn't working, um, you can identify that, and then sort of the greater minds that be in the commentary box who've played cricket and understand a bit more of what's going on um, are able to say, oh, that's because he's trying this, or this is happening, and talk about the sort of gameplay. So I think you know that's another advantage of having a scorer I think in a commentary box and I think Rory talked about it in um, his interview and I think sort of mentions made of sort of um, Andy Zaltzman and Andrew Sampson and they're kind of used to an extent on Test Match Special which is a a broadcast in the UK sort of a little bit more like oh it's the geek in the corner who does all the stats for the maths and this that and the other but actually uh, the scorers that provide information to commentary teams are um, A, they're far more skilled than I would be, but they're far, they're absolutely invaluable tool mm. to have because they can identify things sometimes before the commentators can see them. And just listening to, I was listening to ABC Grandstand uh, for the India-Australia One Dayers just before Christmas and it didn't really appear that they had a scorer in the box or oh, assisting with the commentary. Or oh, I didn't hear it when I was listening, and I just thought, actually, it's something that Test Match Special, for example, do well. and It might be something that they'd want to consider elsewhere because I just think it adds a different dimension to the game. Mm. Of
3: course, at the moment they might not have too many people in the box together, um, so they might they might have been missing because of that. But um, yeah, it's really but you can interesting. always do it
0: remotely. Because, I mean, yeah. I think with some of the commentary we're doing, we've got commentators that are in Australia. We've got commentators um, that are in this country looking at um, a view through the TV. And, indeed, I think the forthcoming Sri Lanka test match, um, none of the commentators are actually going to be in Sri Lanka. They're going to be commentating off the TV. So I think, you know, there's there's definite merit there of having a, a stats person who can score mm. in the background beavering away and doing that work. Mm. And are your sheets sort
3: of... Um, pre-printed do you do you just have um sort of blank sheet of paper and do it as you go along or do you do you make all the columns and print them off yourself
0: oh so see. you see me how i prepare for this podcast <laughs> 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 no it's uh literally a case of um i think that was actually a jotter that i used for work like an a4 sort of line jotter and i literally just did it on that
3: I will.
0: but uh, during the season i do have um i always carry a notebook with me um, especially if I'm doing jazz hat cricket games, because running around trying to find a card, mm. there's, there's no chance when people are quaffing champagne. So I sort of run around and try and get a list of all the players. So I then, at yeah. least then I've got a rough sort of description of them and I have that in my notebook and then I do the score sheet underneath it.
3: Yeah, I agree. Notebook, very useful. Yeah. So, Mark, what do you use... Um, when you're scoring?
2: A bit like Jules, I'm, I'm not fortunate enough to have pitch vision yet because it's too much for our club and being a town centre ground in north sort of uh, the, the outskirts of London, somebody would nick it. Nick, nick <laughs> it. But uh, I use a, uh, an old school frindle sheet. Uh,
1: mm.
2: I use I use TTS for years, but obviously since they've, they've fallen out of love with the game or the game's fallen out of love with them, either or. I've gone to PCS and PCS Pro, and obviously have it wired up to our uh, score box as well. So that's hope well, one less job you have to do. And it's you know it's the majority of our scorers in the league tend to use computers, which is which is fantastic. The players all love it, and the game at the end of the day, the game's for players. As much as we like to get involved and and what have you, and make a really good job of it and do the best that we can. The game is for players, and I'm one for doing as much as I possibly can to enable them to have an amazing experience, and you're giving the best service you can for your club or wherever you wherever you profess to score. Absolutely. I think we
3: all agree with that. Well Did. said, Mark. <laughs> so just
0: as a, a PPS to uh, this podcast, just check out this present which is um, a cricket scoreboard um, desk tidy, which I was given by my lovely other half, who's actually also a scorer. I think he actually watched this for himself um, with the score on it. If you are if you can see it, I might put it up. You can play guests a score. Ironically, when it was delivered, because it was going to be the piece of resistance for the Christmas present, the Amazon delivery driver delivered it in its package box, so I could actually see what it was with the address on it. So I actually picked it up from the Amazon delivery driver I mean, I was pretty impressed when I saw it, but it obviously did slightly take away the surprise for Christmas. But it's an absolute genius thing and is currently now in my home office. Well done, COVID, and well done for, for homeworking, but also well done for this genius invention, whoever came up with and
3: it. And are you going to post a picture of that on the Twitter so the viewers can watch it? See it? Yes,
0: I will do. And ending on that positive note, that's all for us for this week. We will be back with you probably in about three weeks' time. We are spacing them out at the moment. But as always, it's lovely to hear from you and thank you to everybody that does contact us. We do uh, try and respond as quickly as we can to the correspondences and it's lovely to hear from you and please do reach out. Uh, We are at cricketscorersuntalid at gmail.com and also on Twitter at cricketscorers1. So it's a goodbye from Mark.
2: Goodbye. Stay safe.
0: It's a goodbye from Sue. Goodbye. A goodbye from Brian.
2: Goodbye.
0: It's a goodbye from Luke. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye for me. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have you handled anyone famous? I might rephrase that. Have <laughs> you <Goodbye>. worked- <laughs> <can> no <laughs>